Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynncullenshow at gmail.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, welcome. Welcome on a sunny Monday in December, December 13th, 2021. Let me start with a sigh. Actually, I just aborted that. The, the real sigh was about to happen, and I thought I would give it a proper introduction. And then, having stifled the real sigh, we're left with one that wasn't particularly heartfelt. But, you know, guys, Mondays, Mondays are particularly hard. Don't worry about it. Blue, we've got a... Um, He's here somewhere. Blue. This dog walker is coming in. I don't know where he went. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Sorry. Um, She's so sweet. She had texted, I'm late. I'm late. She so doesn't want to do exactly what just happened, and that never has happened. What a sweet soul. Anyway. um, Yeah. Guys, Mondays, because uh, because it's four days since I last speak to you, and uh, uh, the the horrors pile up, and don't even know. I sit here, I'm I'm literally buried under uh, tape highlighted newspapers and scribbled notes. Uh, each one uh, serious. I mean, each one something we should be paying attention to. Um, but a lot of us aren't. And it's because we're trying desperately to live our lives, to take care of ourselves, right? But if we're honest, uh, we're all sort of shell-shocked, I think. And uh, there's a piece uh, today about living through what they term a boring apocalypse because it's happening so numbingly, slowly. I think it's happening frighteningly quickly, but I understand what they're saying. The drip, drip, drip. Uh and and the author of the piece I happened to see a few moments ago talks about how many of us are just languishing uh, in states of, I don't know, the spectrum runs from emptiness to ennui, which ain't much of a spread. We're all sort of stuck at meh, at the blahs. There's a sense of impending doom. And the thing is, you know, when you've been living for over two years in a a state of of heightened stress, fear, crisis, you, your, I guess your survival instincts uh, numb you. You know, they say you can't take this constantly. So, you sort of numb up. And uh, I think a lot of us are in that uh, state. Exhausted by the pandemic, exhausted by being afraid, exhausted by being afraid of so many things. The lives of our loved ones, the survival of our country, the horror of the uh, climate crisis, which we see play out at uh, alarming regularity, and uh, over the weekend, the tornadoes, unbelievable, just unbelievable, full of destruction. Whoa, I don't know. You see that they're finding people, a woman getting into her car somewhere 
hundred and plus miles away from where the tornado hit. Finds on her windshield a photograph of a woman and her child. And it was from a place that was now flattened, gone. And the photo had traveled 150 miles and finally fell back to earth on this woman's windshield. And this is happening all over that area in a 100, 150, 200 mile uh, perimeter of where the tornadoes leveled so many uh, places. It didn't just level, it, it, it just exploded them. Um, and and people's photographs, I guess because photos by their nature are light enough that they will carry in normal wind, I suppose, but this is no normal wind. I don't know. Uh, watching that awesome, uh, looking at the, the, the remnants of such an awesome play nature and its capacity for destruction is just, I guess, numbing too. So you read the morning paper and, you know, here's a New York Times headline today, the big one. It's next to a story, a picture of, you know, the devastation from the tornado. And, you know, you wonder why people are just in a state of numbness. So you have the tornado picture and then you have the headline, COVID has killed one of every 100 Older Americans. By older, they mean 65 plus. I'm in that group. (laughs) Quite comfortably in that group. One of a hundred people, 65 and older in this country, are dead from COVID. Three quarters. Oh, for Christ's sake. Three quarters of the, I'm so sorry, dog walk. This is what happens when, you know, you work from home. Uh, Three quarters of the deaths um, in COVID in the United States are people 65 or older, 75% of the dead, which I suppose is part of the reason, and certainly it was initially, when a lot of younger people or healthy adults decided that it wasn't going to kill them. But of course, it has killed a lot of them. For 100,000, over 200,000, I mean, what would it be? There's almost a million. We're going to easily reach million. I remember, I remember predicting that maybe a year ago and and then thinking that I was being a little over the top, but I don't think that will prove to be the truth and um, the case, I think. Sorry. I, I don't, you know, I, I thought, what can I say? What? I know what I can do, and I'm going to, I know this is always a problem, but I shouldn't start out with something, you know, some one of the things that is like easy because I got some heavy stuff here today. It it it, it really does seem like I mean you guys read too. I every pundit, every academic, every legal scholar, every everybody is now writing these warnings of the impending end of our democracy. Everybody used to be just a few of us screaming into the wind. (laughs) Everybody. And some of them are so well done citing exact reasons for their 
prophetic doomsaying. And uh, it's hard to read them and, and, and not figure that it's absolutely true. I mean, you know I think it's true. You know I do. I've been squawking for years now. Well, let me start with this thing that came uh, to me over social media. I think it was Twitter. Um, it's a, it's an engagement announcement. And I'm unclear what newspaper. It's not a Pittsburgh newspaper, but I think it's a local relative. I think it, it's somewhere around these parts. I don't know. Ali Kiski gets mentioned, but that's not, I, 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 I don't know. This is indicative of the kind of, well, let me read it to you. It's, it's mind boggling. It's an engagement uh, announcement with photo. The photo is of two uh, middle-aged people. Um, which actually attracts your attention. Oh, look, isn't that nice? The guy is gray-haired, and his hair is pulled back in a ponytail. She's wearing a off-the-shoulder black dress, but is of a certain age. She looks to me to be like in her maybe 50. I don't know. Um, the announcement of their impending nuptials. Where's that word come from? Is uh, cringifying. You cannot even, you cannot believe that someone wrote this and wanted to share this. Also, I must say that the woman in uh, the picture, uh, her last name is Cullen. Ugh. So the headline of the engagement announcement is Cullen Johnson Engagement. And it's them staring into each other's eyes, both in profile, of course. Are you ready? Starts out, meh. Dr. Matthew Johnson and Miss Jennifer Cullen are pleased to announce their engagement to be married in February of 2022. I'm going to skip over son of, son of, son of. Dr. Johnson, a well-known professor, historian, and author. Cullen, a celebrated behavior specialist born and raised in the Alley Kiski Valley. Colton Cullen, the son of the bride, is delighted to share in this miracle of love and devotion that he's witnessing for the first time in his life. He would like to thank his stepfather for the, well, they haven't been married yet. Notice that. He would like to thank his future stepfather for the genuine loyalty, honesty, and protection that neither he nor his mother have ever known before. As a diamond is Reduced only under intense heat and pressure. Jennifer's beauty derives from enduring decades of narcissistic attempts to defeat her virtue and crush her spirit. These sociopathic attacks backfired. Matthew, Matthew's the room to be, is ecstatic to be the only man adequately equipped to satiate Jennifer's long unsatisfied yearning for romantic affection, attention, affection, and love. Oh my God. Similarly, as gold is refined only through intense heat and flame, Matthew's strength of will derives from enduring decades of pathological contempt 
deceit and hypocrisy. They failed to break him. Jennifer is overjoyed to finally provide him with the unconditional love, undying respect, and gratifying intimacy like no man ever experienced. To put it simply, a one. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Ah! Oh. I think she wrote it. One of them wrote it. I think she wrote it. Uh, I cannot. You know, I, it, it is a rare uh, engagement uh, announcement uh, that lets you know uh, something like that the groom to be is the only man capable and adequately equipped. Those are the words to satiate Jennifer's long, unsatisfied yearning for romantic attention, <laughs> affection, and love. And then he, I, we're not clear what his problems have been, but they were some sociopaths or psychopaths. I think they say psychopaths. Pathological contempt, deceit, and hypocrisy leveled at him, but they didn't break him. So what happened is this got posted. Twitter. And man, I'll tell you what, people started looking these people up. And turns out this guy, the professor, Dr. Math Dr. Matthew Johnson, the so-called well-known professor, historian, and author, has written a book that glorifies the authoritarian rulers of South America, lauds them in his book. And the book is apparently incoherent because people started then looking peer review and there wasn't any, and for all we know, it was self-published. I mean, this guy like a neo-fascist, authoritarian, autocratic, God knows what. And she is flat out, out of her mind. So all I can say is, wow. As somebody uh, tweeted after reading this, you know, it's not really love. If your relationship is not built on a firm foundation of spite an unquenchable thirst for revenge. I am so happy that they have found each other and get to publicly blast their exes to the whole town. Wow, you gotta wonder about people. You got isn't that something? That is the that that is the closest I can get something funny, and of course it's horrific. Horrific. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, here was some good news. The uh, baristas in the Buffalo Starbucks did what not a lot of people thought they could do. They took on that anti-union. For all of you who go to Starbucks, shame on you. Fuck them. See the way they treat the people who work there. And uh, these guys in Buffalo prevailed. And apparently some other, these are, these are where Starbucks, where the, where the company owns the location. There are two other stores that are voting, I believe, this week. 
and they'll probably unionize uh, too. And it's just uh, amazing. And I recall when the head of Starbucks, this guy named Schultz, right? Right? I think Schultz. Uh, Well, he flirted with running for the Democratic presidential uh, nomination because he fancies himself such a progressive. I, uh, through the course of this effort um, to unionize, uh, it has been amazing to read some of what Starbucks uh, did. And this is corporate Starbucks did to try to keep this from from coming to the end point that it happily did. The intimidation the that went on, I mean they flew they flew out some of the heaviest hitters, the uh, people at the almost top, almost, you know, second to Schultz himself, to sit in this Starbucks and to just monitor everything that went on. They said they were doing it because they were concerned. If you guys are unhappy, we want to see what's happening. They, they, it, it is just mind-blowing. This is something, by the way, that Dollar General has been doing as well. And when one uh, shop, one little place, six employees, I believe, finally did vote to unionize. You know what Starbucks did? It closed the entire place down and left. Not Starbucks, Dollar General. But these are people who, I, I, there, there are so many awful, and you wonder, you wonder how these uh, corporate types and look themselves in the in the face. You just wonder. I'm sorry. I can tell I'm in a Monday funk, aren't I? Oh, and now my eyes light upon a headline that's that that blew me away. Video games in Tesla cars are raising safety fears. Oh, really? Why would a car manufacturer putting video games on the dashboard cause any safety concerns? You think you can't drive and play Angry Birds at the same time? Or a nice game of words with friends? Are you kidding me? So I got to tell you, uh, John Fetterman is not going, I, he probably got a laugh. I, I would think he would have laughed at this. Because I, I did, but I would think he would. On uh, the opinion page of the New York Times today, at the very top of the chief editorial uh, is a big picture of our Lieutenant Governor, John Fetterman. He's holding a mic, he's outdoors, and he's speaking. That's all, he's just, it's a, it's a bus shot. But the headline under him is, ugly primary races are looming. <laughs> I thought, you know, if they put my picture over, um, a headline saying ugly primary races, I might, you know, be offended. You know, Fetterman is not a handsome man. He's an imposing man. I wouldn't call him ugly, but he's, but this is, this is funny. Ugly primary races looming and there he is. But the editorial is about the fact that, uh, there are some very consequential races that we will be voting on in uh, 
one year, November. And obviously, uh, they focus on Pennsylvania here. And it's something I've been talking to friends about. I've been wrestling. I think I've wrestled a little bit on this program about it. In the primary, my vote will go to whichever Democrat I determine as the best shot of winning the seat. That's a different calculation than I'm going to vote for the person I agree with the most or I I personally like the best, whatever. And this is often how I do go into consequential races. I, I've cast many a vote for somebody I don't, you know, I've held my nose and voted. I've voted wishing I had a candidate that more adequately met my, I don't know, but figuring out which are going to win. Now, I think because there's a big pool of, of qualified Democrats. There's Joe, uh, there's uh, John Fetterman. And then there's Connor Lamb. You could argue those are the two front runners. And they can't be more opposite. Connor Lamb, Mr. Clean Cut, Marine Corps vet, uh, who wowed, well, it says here in the editorial, who shocked and thrilled his party by winning a special election in a conservative district that went for Trump by nearly 20 points in 2016. And then, as you know, he repeated that by winning re-election in a gerrymandered, a new district, and also beat back. So he looks, you want, you want somebody who can win? Boy, he looks like that guy. Betterman, on the other hand, this article, written, by the way, by Michelle Cottle, who's a member of the editorial board of the New York Times, she says this of him. Fetterman radiates an anti-establishment, anti-elitist vibe that his supporters say helps him connect with the rural and blue-collar types who have largely abandoned the Democratic Party. He's known as a bit of a loner, and not all of his positions play well with progressives. For instance, he opposes an immediate ban on fracking, but he was a Bernie backer in 2016. Um, Talk about Malcolm Kenyatta, Philadelphia, black, young, progressive, gay, working poor background, a very, very impressive guy, and also a woman who doesn't get a lot of attention, uh, Val Arkush. She's a MD. She's a doctor. She's also Philly, Philly um, upscale, voter-rich suburban, leans liberal, uh, endorsed by Emily's list, of course. But a Democratic primary voter this next year, 2022, which is a few weeks away, is going to have to wrestle with being able to figure who will win, which of these is the best shot. Now... I have had my issues with Fetterman for a long time. I'm, 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 I have very complicated uh, feelings about Fetterman. 
I and yet I think the more I have thought about it, I think he's the guy. And I'll tell you why. He's the guy because of the way he looks and acts. And his whole backstory and his tattoos and the fact that he takes no prisoners and he's so intimidating a presence, the idea of him on the floor of the Senate. I like him for the same reason. I like him as the candidate for the same reason that television show producers have for years sought him out as a guest because they know are when they see one. And it shouldn't come as a surprise to you that we are living in an overly mediaized entertainment culture. It's why Donald Trump was able to become the president of the United States. John Fetterman looks, he has parlayed his huge dating physical presence, his lovely immigrant wife and their children, and the fact that he was a mayor of a little decimated town and then became the lieutenant governor and whatever. And he's Harvard educated. He looks like one thing, sounds like one thing, might be another. I think he's extraordinarily media savvy, as is his wife. And I think at heart, they're good people. We now are drawn to... Characters, people who will entertain us, if only by their very presence and manner of speech. My guess is that in this corrupted, mediaized political game we now have, that this is the player. This is the player I would put forward, not the good, moderate. Honor Lamb, who looks like 500 other members of Congress. Nobody looks like John Fetterman. I bet he is the most easily recognized uh, Pennsylvania politician there is already. And I mean, even nationally. So that kind of stuff is not something to poo-pooed. So just to tell you, uh, New York Times, editorial, ugly primary races are looming, pictured, John Fetterman, and I, yeah, right now in my calculations, um, he's the best candidate because he's made for television, and that's where it all happens. And, you know, his politics are okay. Okay? They're okay. I'm just saying. I have made my endorsement a little early. I am allowed to uh, uh, pull it. 
if uh, more information comes in. <laughs> but at the moment, if we're voting, I vote for Fetterman. Yep. We need to figure out who is going that Senate seat back. We have a grave, grave responsibility on our shoulders. And I don't, I, you know, I don't know if I'm right, but I do think I am. Susan writes, I'm not too surprised that a picture was found about 100 miles away from the owner. Back in 2011, there was a tornado that hit the Hemfield area high school. I live about two-thirds of a mile from the school as the crow flies, and I found one of the track and field blue mats in my driveway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was like as tornadoes go. That was a little tornado. So that mat only went about a little under a mile. Can you imagine? Uh, there have been in instances of uh, of things being found over 200 miles um, away. And there are sites now set up so that people all around Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, all, all around these areas can um, post what fell into their hands and see if they can be, uh, the objects can be reunited with somebody who, in fact, owned them or, and survived. Horrific. Roger writes, a friend of mine from Manhattan visited us for Thanksgiving. A normally six and a half hour drive took him nine hours since he had to stop twice to charge his Tesla. Yeah, see, I, I'll go electric, but you got to put the infrastructure in place. I'm, I'm not, yeah, I wouldn't do that. He told us he saw another Tesla driver while in New York City a New York City tunnel with his feet up on the dashboard reading a book. Oh, God. Oh, God. By the way, Roger says Fetterman will win, would win the general election. I think Lamb will get destroyed. I don't know. What do we know? But I, yeah, I am. That's what I'm doing. I'm thinking. Fetterman. Well, I want to say uh, about Chris Wallace's uh, departure from Fox. Uh, a little late there, Chris. A little late. And it's not like he said anything about where Fox News is heading, what Fox News has done. So I give him no credit whatsoever, except belatedly trying to distance himself from the network that is actively working to take down our democracy. And CNN, of course, has scooped him up. Mm-hmm. Well, Here's the piece that I read that blew me away. It's written by a guy who lived in Sri Lanka. Oh, don't tell me you're not going to let me see this. What? Excuse me. I am really sorry. I'm really sorry. Uh... Let me see if I can find it in another. Oh, dear God, you got to be kidding me. Um, this is a guy who lived in Sri Lanka. And as he says, he lived through the collapse of a country. I've got it here. 
was living in Sri Lanka. He was in his 20s. And uh, this is in like 2008. There was a civil war going on in uh, that country. There had been a ceasefire. He moved back and then the ceasefire fell, fell apart. And he says, what was it like to be in a country that was literally in a civil war? And he said this, I went to work, I went out, I dated. And this is what Americans don't understand. They're waiting to get personally punched in the face while ash falls from the sky. That is not how it happens. This is how it happens, meaning the way we are right now. This is how it happens. Precisely what you are living in now. The numbing litany of bad news, the ever-rising outrages, people suffering, dying, protesting. Well, you think about dinner. If you're trying to carry on while people around you die, your society is not collapsing. It's already fallen down. He says he looked through pictures of that time, and there he is playing Scrabble. There he is at a concert. There's bomb smoke rising in front of the mall that one picture was taken in. He says, the question is, who are you? I mean, you're reading this. You have the leisure to ponder America's collapse like it's even a question. The people really experiencing it already know. As someone who's already experienced societal breakdown, here is the truth. America has already collapsed. What you are feeling is exactly how it feels. It's Saturday, and you're thinking about food while the world is on fire. This is normal. This is life during collapse. Collapse does not mean you're personally dying right now. It means death is sometimes close, sometimes far away. It's always there. I used to judge those herds of gazelle when the lion eats one of them alive and everyone keeps going. But no, humans are just the same. That's the real real meaning of herd immunity. We're fundamentally immune to giving a shit. This is the answer I've been asking since I was a child about the Holocaust. How could people let that happen? It wasn't as if Germany and these other European countries were populated by monsters. They were people like us. They just went about their lives. We are fundamentally immune to giving a shit. And he says, especially if you're someone who has resources, privileged. Oh, yeah, we'd have to pop our trunks for a bomb check, turn off our lights for the air raids. I'm not saying that we were untouched. My friend's dad was killed by a landmine. 
I know people who were beaten, arrested, went into exile, but that's not what my photo stream looks like from those years. It was mostly food and parties and normal stuff for a dumb 20-something. So if you're waiting for a moment where you're like, oh my, this is, this is it. I am telling you, it never comes. Nobody comes on TV and says things are officially bad. There's no launch party for decay. It's just a pile up of outrages and atrocities in between friendships and weddings and perhaps an unusual amount of alcohol. Perhaps you're waiting for some moment when the adrenaline kicks in and you're fighting the virus or fascism all the time, but it's not like that. Life is not a movie. And if it were, you're certainly not the star. You're just an extra. If something good or bad happens to you, it'll be random. And no one will care. If you're unlucky, you're a statistic. If you're lucky, no one notices you. Collapse is just a series of ordinary days in between extraordinary bullshit. Most of it happening to someone else. That's all it is. He finishes by saying, in the last three months, America has lost more people than Sri Lanka lost in 30 years of civil war. If this isn't collapse, then the word has no meaning. You probably still think of Sri Lanka as a shithole, as Donald Trump would say. Though the war ended over a decade ago, and we're relatively fine. So what does that make you? America has fallen. You need to look up at the people you're used to looking down on. We are trying to tell you something. I have lived through collapse, and you are already there. Until you understand that, you have only further to fall. Just one man's opinion. Uh, but that is exactly how I see it. And that's exactly what I've been feeling. This is so odd. You see it happening in, in broad daylight. You see Republicans, the party, actively becoming, forget the, no, not becoming, that one of our parties has become a totally anti-democratic party. Let me, um, here, I'm just trying to help you uh, get this. Uh, because, and here's where I get so angry at media, because this is some from the New York Times today, uh, David Leonhardt. He says, American politics these days often seem fairly normal. Daily media coverage uh, tends to reflect, uh, you know, the Supreme Court is hearing cases, members are haggling over bills, yada, yada, yada. But American politics is not normal. It may instead be in the midst of a radical shift away from the democratic rules and traditions that have guided the country for a very long time. And then he goes on to say the clear anti-democratic movement is making significant progress. This movement has managed to already change laws governing our elections, has ousted election officials with the aim of overturning future election results not to their liking, 
And it, this movement, this anti-democratic movement to literally steal the next elections has encountered surprisingly little opposition. Republican politicians have either looked the other way or supported the movement. The pushback within the Republican Party has been so weak that polls now show that 60% of Republican adults believe that Donald Trump won the election in 2020. 60%. And what are the Democrats doing? They're trying, they're just doing what they do. They're got proposals. They're trying to get them through. uh, But they are not, as much as you would think, raising the alarm. And here is what Leonhardt says, and he is so not a uh, chicken little type, uh, Cassandra type. All of this created a remarkable possibility. In the 2024 presidential election, Republican officials in at least one state, would say more than one state, may Overturn a legitimate election result, citing fraud that does not exist, and award the state's electoral votes to the Republican nominee. Tried this in 2020, but local officials rebuffed him. And so that is why. State after state that Republicans control are passing laws that will allow them to throw out your vote. The Secretary of State in Michigan, where this effort is really underway, where the Republicans are really targeting the states that are the battleground states, which means Michigan, Pennsylvania, right? Wisconsin, Arizona. And the Secretary of State in Michigan says, if people, leaders, citizens are not taking this as the most important issue of our time and acting accordingly, then we may not be able to ensure democracy will prevail in 24. That's two years from now. For that matter, 22, these laws are already in, and they could affect who's claimed, uh, proclaimed a victor in a Senate race, a congressional race, a gubernatorial race. Republicans are passionate about this. They're working it. Democrats? It says here, there's a stark asymmetry of enthusiasm. A highly motivated Republican base that views these upcoming races as central fronts in the battle for America are facing Democratic voters who are barely aware the races are happening at all. In 23 states, Republicans control both the legislative and the executive branch. Those states are the ones that are passing these laws. Democrats control only 15 states. The Times had an article about a guy from Pennsylvania. His name is Stephen Lindemuth. He's from Elizabethtown. He's a pastor and a substitute teacher. And he was at 
the January 6th Stop the Steal rally. He's a foot soldier in this Republican race. So he went back home after July 6th, and he declared his candidacy for judge of elections. That is in Pennsylvania. We got them all across the state. The judge of elections administers the election. He won. So this is what Republican activists do. They take these jobs at what seems like low levels so that if it is necessary to kowtow to Donald Trump's phone call, they will kowtow. brings us, of course, to the mind-blowing coup power, which I'm sure you've seen. However, uh, it hasn't gotten the kind of play you would think. My God, when uh, Mark Meadows, Trump's chief staff, actually did send some stuff over to the January 6th uh, committee. One of the things was this PowerPoint presentation about how to steal the damn election and that this was something that was, in fact, used. It wasn't something that was filed away. The people who drew up this how to steal the election, how to prevent Pence from doing what he ended up doing on January 6th. Not letting me see this either. Uh, um, the fact is, if you haven't read the document, you got to. It's titled Election Fraud, Foreign Interference, and Options for January 6th. And this PowerPoint was shown on January 4 to a group of Republican senators at the Capitol building. And it flat out shows how they were going to do it. Senators, they haven't been identified yet. What senators sat down and had this PowerPoint presentation? The next day, January 5th, a group of members of the House got the presentation. Among the, I mean, I can read this thing to you. It is mind-blowing. It, at one point, recommends that Trump declare a national emergency to delay the certification of the election results. It includes unbelievably unsubstantiated, ludicrous claims that Venezuela and China had obtained control over the voting infrastructure in a majority of the states. <laughs> the more we learn about what was actually happening in the weeks and days right up until those insurrectionists stormed the U.S. Capitol. It's mind-blowing, mind-blowing. 
And yet, as the Sri Lankan gentleman told us, and yet your newspaper is filled with stories about bills being passed and tornado damage and the pandemic, of course. There are no screaming headlines that our democracy is in grave, grave danger. There is a plot afoot. And everywhere you look, my God, everywhere you look, if you bother to look, in Georgia, what's going on is beyond belief. There's stories, and, you know, if, you, if you'll bother to look, where election officials that did their job, because that is a nonpartisan job, are being black election officials, are being pulled off, replaced by good white people who will do the right thing. In some states, they're taking the power of overseeing elections away from the lieutenant governor, which is almost always the case, and giving it to the attorney general. And that's usually in cases where the attorney general, because the lieutenant governor, well, it gets comp- it gets complicated. There's not a trick these guys are missing. And they are funded to the teeth. I bumped into the story about a woman named Julie Fancelli. Fancelli. She's a heiress, 72 years old. She lived most of the time in Italy. Uh, her uh, father uh, founded the Publix supermarket chain. And, and she gives unbelievable amounts of money. Things like the January 6th rally. And ever these guys on the fascist end which is now pretty much the party, need money, they call Julie. I never heard of her. Do you ever heard of her? She's rich as hell. She lives in uh, mostly in Tuscany. She hands out 750 thou here, 200 thou there, and when they come calling, she opens up her checkbook. So much so that now Publix grocery stores are uh, getting freaked out because uh, they have put out statements because they're people who are now boycotting their stores. They put out statements saying uh, the company cannot control the actions of uh, individual uh, stockholders. Uh, we are deeply troubled by Ms. Vance Shelley's involvement uh, in the events that led to the tragic attack on the Capitol on January 6th. Yeah, okay. Speaking of the tragic attack on the Capitol, somebody has pointed out, and it is true. Oh, I can't believe how late it is. I look at the clock. My God. I'll just get this in real fast. Somebody has pointed out that the um, New York Times continues to call what happened on January 6th a riot. That is, I'm obviously someone there. That's what the uh, the editors have decided. I mean, maybe a reporter will call it something else, but by the time it makes print, it's uh, it's going to be a not a riot. And let me find this one thing and then I'll I'll leave. I'm sorry. Here somebody pointed this out. A riot. A riot is 
spontaneous. I mean, words mean something. A riot breaks out. It is spontaneous. An insurrection or an attempted coup involves planning and a clear political motive. And that is what we know happened prior to and on January 6th. It was an insurrection, an attempt to, and it was not a riot. And the paper of record will not call it what it is. Despicable. All right, I'm done. I went over. I went nuts. I'm sorry. Goodbye. See you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.